forever. Dog. Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. We've got some great episodes for you this month. Um, some folks that I've been dying to talk to and some folks who are friends, mostly from Twitter, uh, who I was happy to meet in person. Uh, so it was a real treat. It was just some really good conversations that are really worth your time. Lots of good stuff to take from them. Um, Happy New Year. Uh, I think this will be a good year for you to write a lot of new material. And I have some ways to help you with that. I'm teaching a couple of script anatomy classes that I think you should take. Uh, If you are a writer who's looking for deadlines and feedback, these are the things that I can offer you. Um, Script Anatomy has a great sort of um, syllabus, and and I like most of what they do. Um, But for the most part, like what you're really paying for are deadlines and feedback. And I am really good at notes. Um, So my first class uh, starts February 12th. It is called Televisionary. It's their basic writing class. It's the basics of TV script writing. Um, I would love to have some smart, interesting people in that class because it's kind of, it's very tool-based and it can get kind of boring for me. Um, So having good folks there who can actually make it more of a conversation would be a lot of fun. Um, And then right after that, I think it starts in, so April 2nd is the TV spec and pilot draft intensive which is a more advanced thing. We help you get from outline to first draft um, or really like whatever makes the most sense for you. And I've done this class before where we just drill down on getting someone's outline really good so that when they do go to draft, it just takes like a week for them to write it. Um, I really love that class. It's much more collaborative. Um, Everybody, like we treat it like a writer's room. Everybody works on, you know, gets to give notes on everybody else's stuff. And again, I will give you deadlines. I will give you notes. Um, uh, uh, That's the draft intensive starting on April 2nd. You can sign up for both of those. And you don't have to do televisionary if you want to do draft intensive. Although I think if you haven't done a script anatomy class before, the televisionary class is a good sort of way in. These are both remote Um, I'm only doing remote classes because I want everyone everywhere to have access to these. Um, That only seems democratic. Uh, Go over to scriptanatomy.com slash class dash calendar or, you know, like just look up Script Anatomy uh, and then go to their calendar and you'll find both of those. Look for my dumb face um, on the televisionary and draft intensive classes. I really would love um, if some writers panel listeners showed up in these classes uh, because you are generally a smart and engaged audience um, who I think would really do well in them and I think it would be fun to work together. All right, so that's that. Script Anatomy, uh, go check it out. Once again, it's scriptanatomy.com and then click that calendar link. Um, The other thing is I am still doing um, my newsletter, which is really enjoyable for me and I think for others. Um, Go to benblacker.substack.com. We're doing, I'm doing a weekly release. I'm writing about um, trends in the industry. I'm writing about uh, screenwriting advice that I've gotten over these past 12 years now. 
from doing the writer's panel, um, sort of synthesizing that stuff and putting it down in a way that I hope is helpful to others. Uh, we're also doing monthly Q&As with pro writers. This month, uh, we have the great Akila Cooper, who uh, Akila is the writer of the new movie Megan, which is bananas good. Um, she's been in television for a long time. She wrote Malignant, which came out, I think, last year or the year before, which is so fun. Um, so that's going to be a great conversation. That is on uh, the 13th of January. And the only way to join and ask Akela your questions and interact is to become a paid subscriber. Um, that is also the only way to listen to it once it's been done. Uh, we've also got great guests lined up for February and March, which I'll be announcing soon. Uh, but go to benblacker.substack.com for all of that information. And please subscribe. Uh, I, I would love for that to be the kind of community that the writers panel has been for the past decade. You know, I, I love seeing your comments on the newsletter. I love reading about what you all want to hear about from the newsletter um, and where you are with in, in your writing journey. Like that, that's really, it's exciting to me to see that folks are, are making progress and still excited about it and love TV and want to talk about it. Um, so once again, benblacker.substack.com. Hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. Enjoy today's episode. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Sterling Harjo's here. Sterling, thanks for chatting. Um, I love Reservation Dogs so much. Uh, so much that I stalked you through the WGA portal and found <laughs> your information. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you you all keep yourselves pretty insulated over there. Like, it's hard to get to you as I, I generally know. book these things. A WGA or? No, with, with just with your production, like your oh, writers work on your shows. And I'm sure they're right. doing, you know, features and other stuff because right. they're a talented group. But like, tell me about putting that group together and why I've only met a couple of them over the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, um, really, it was just my friends, you know, like, I think that we were all working outside of sort of the mainstream industry, a lot of us. And um, I mean, like, Black Horse Low, for instance, like, my first feature film, or my short film premiered at Sundance in like 2004, 2005. And I met him there on a bus to the director's brunch that they have every year. Um, we ended up sitting next to each other because he was native and I was native and we were like kind of stuck together and, um, you know, ended up talking movies together and just became friends and have been friends ever since. Um, and he's just a, you know, relentless filmmaker. I mean, he's like true to his voice and has made films and none of us have made money and we were all sort of, you know, there's independent filmmakers and then there's native independent filmmakers and we were making less money because no one wanted to make our films. And um i mean i had a career of like i've made five feature films i think yeah all two hundred thousand dollars or less you know wow. and it was like just trying to keep stuff you know i always knew that if i made good work and just kept doing it like eventually it would catch up you know and so um you know streaming changed everything and tv and all of that and um i never thought i'd have a tv show you know i never thought that would happen um but well, yeah, 
like a lot of these people are just like friends that are filmmakers and i good to hear gave them their shot yeah i mean it seems like you know you you rise with your cohort right and like you find these people who work you respect and who you respect personally and who you become friends with and then like you want to collaborate with um i mean like they you know these filmmakers a lot of them would have just never gotten an opportunity if not knowing having a friend that did it you know like and i had seen that for years where it was like you know, I, I was like, I just knew that I could do this stuff, but it was like, you need the opportunity, you know? So I just felt good to be able to give that to people. And Taika gave it to me, you know, with the show. Yeah, it makes sense. I want to talk about those those early years um, of like making those feature films. Cause like, it seems like you had this sort of like, you were welcomed in sort of a big way with the Sundance stuff. And like, there was a lot of excitement, but features is so hard. And so tell me about like finding your bearings there. It seemed like you always knew you wanted to make movies and that was the goal. But once you started taking those first steps, like, how do you, how do you get hold? How do you stay in? I mean, it was very difficult. I mean, um, there's no one way to do it either. I mean, like what, but what I did is I, you know, I went to the Sundance Labs. I mean, I was like, you know, I grew up in rural Oklahoma. Um, I happened to meet someone that worked at Sundance named Bird Running Water, who worked for the Native American sort of initiative, which like they tried to find Native, they sort of scouted for Native writers and filmmakers. Um, and I told him I wanted to be a filmmaker. I went to a speak this talk that he gave. Um and I sent a script in and I didn't get in, um, but they liked it enough that the Sundance Labs stayed in touch with me. And so the next time I had a script, which was two years later, I sent that in and they liked it and they still didn't give it to me. Um, Cause I think I was, because I was so young, I was 23 at the time. And they, um, I think they wanted to meet me and see how I, how I took feedback and stuff. So they literally created this, initiative spot for me where um that still goes on to this day but they um actually is wild story so chris fisher was a is a filmmaker and he had a midnight movie that year and a horror film and and he's you know he's white guy and um he wrote bird running water who was an old friend of who's a roommate with his best friend and said hey uh you know, I want to support your, your, um, I want to support native filmmakers. If you know any that like you think could benefit from like coming to the lat to this, to Sundance film festival, I want to give my, um, plane ticket and hotel room to, to a native filmmaker because we have a condo or whatever. <laughs> and so, um, bird gave it to me. And it happened right after I didn't get into the labs, but they wanted me in the labs. And yeah. so they brought me up there and I got, and and they just wanted to meet me and also see how I took the feedback, I guess. And so I got to work with Frank Pearson and um, Randy Redroad and forget who else, but, um, you know, Frank Pearson wrote Dog Day Afternoon and Cool Hand Luke and, yeah. um, uh he had some great advice for me he was like um he was we're sitting down to get his notes on my script and he's like well he's like the good news is you're a writer and you can't teach someone how to write he was like 
um, you're not a screenwriter yet though. He's like, but you can teach someone how to screenwrite. So, <laughs> and I, and I, you know, he was right. Like now that I look back on my script and stuff at the time, like he was totally right. And it took me a few scripts and films before I feel like I figured out what I was doing. Um, so and, that's, let me, let me inter uh, interrupt yeah. for one sec. Cause I'm going to want to like dig in on some of this stuff. How did you take that feedback at like 23 years I've old? I've always been really good at taking feedback. Oh, good. So what is, I mean, there's, I it feels like this is an survive. opportunity for advice. You like don't survive at Sundance and, and those yeah. types of situations if you're not good at taking feedback. Yeah. And you know what I got, how the, one of the reasons I was good at it is because I just came out of art school. I originally wanted to be a painter hmm. and, um, what you do in visual art school is everyone will do a, make a piece of art that day, a drawing or whatever, and everyone tapes it to the wall and everyone critiques it. Yeah. You critique it. You're, so your peers are critiquing your work while you're also critiquing. So you learn how to take a critique and then also give a critique. Um, and I think that helped a lot, actually. Sure. That makes uh, sense. I've just never been precious about this stuff either. Like I, I don't, I mean, one of the biggest mistakes that I see a lot of people make, I don't know how many times I've heard people bitching about not getting into a film festival or not getting accepted into something or whatever. And it's like, well, like, and they, they blame the institution or they blame whatever. And it's like, no, like, look at your own work. Like maybe your work needs to be better, you know? And I've never had a problem with saying that about my own work. I mean, like, um, like I, you know, I didn't get into Sundance with one of my later films. Uh, like Miko didn't get into Sundance. And it's like, I had a whole career with Sundance, you know, and then it didn't get in. So, yeah. But like, you know, am I, um, I, I wasn't butthurt about it. Like I, you know, I literally like, I donate to the festival for one of my peers, one of my mentors, Merita Mitha. There's an award that they give to, um, female indigenous filmmakers kind of up and coming and in her name it's the Merita Mitta award and I I give them money for that now you know like I don't I didn't hold a grudge because I didn't get into their festival you know <laughs> right. um and I think you can't or you're gonna fail you know like there's a true line to failure and it's just like letting that stuff eat you alive and not learning from things you know um i think that's that's very well adjusted of you yeah. um, oh. let me i want to pick up there but i want to fast forward for a second as long as we're on the subject and talk about uh in in the process of making reservation dogs what is the what do the notes look like what does the feedback sound like from whether it's the network whether it's from other producers or whether it's even within the room when you're sort of talking about story and seasons and characters and stuff i mean from the network it's very character driven story driven like you know missing the care missing the story here like what is happening here they never change the details or what the idea is you know <laughs> um, it's really really been good working with them um get a lot of like we'd like to tee up the relationship between these two a little more you know um I'm, or i'm losing this character in this in this episode mm -hmm. like bring them out a little bit uh but not and, and you know fx has a certain way of doing their comedies which like you can look at like any of them i mean you look at like um always sunny in philadelphia as the prime example where it opens with um the problem 
the story, like whatever's happening in that episode, you learn about it in the f- opening usually mm-hmm. of the show. And then everything else is watching them deal with that. Right. Whereas a lot of TV would go, oh, let's spin the first act building to where this episode's going to be. Right. And then we deal with the fallout after that. Mm-hmm. FX gets it off like right like that. And you can see it in the pilot of my show, which is like, you know, we drop right into the story where they're stealing a chip truck and like, you know, I want to be your dogs playing on, you know, it's like, um, it's just like dropping you into the story instead of like building it, you know, which is, I think, I think, you know, economical, but also good. Like it, it, uh, helps move things along. Um, feedback in the writer's room, you know, writer's room's awesome. I mean, like we, it is like safe space to just poke holes in everything, you know? And that's what I do. I like make sure it's real. You know, if it doesn't feel real, mm. I just like kill it. You know, and I'm just like, I'm, it's like, you know, I'm just like a murderer, like a serial killer in the room. Where it's like, if I wake up, if I eat an edible the night before and have a panic attack, <laughs> I'm like, this happens a few times. This, this episode is not the show. I will tell them the next day and we will kill it, you know? Sometimes if we can't figure an episode out, like if we're, if we're like just trying and trying and can't figure it out. And let's say it, let's say it hangs on an idea. Like this is an episode that is a, it's a community wide yard sale, you know, and stories happening in, in the midst of that, um, which is, we've written that episode a couple of times mm-hmm. in different ways, um, to both seasons. And then we scrapped it because it's like um and that's just an example nothing wrong with the yard sale episode but like what would happen is when we can't figure it out it's like okay what is what is then how did we get here well we got here because on its own a community-wide yard sale is a pretty good idea but it's a cheat like we don't have the nuts and bolts of what is happening in this episode so sometimes i'll come into the room and say all right what is this episode without the yard sale mm-hmm. and then we realize we don't know. And so then we come up with something new and it's like more about the characters in the story. And all of a sudden we, it's better, you know? Yeah. Um, that happens a lot. What is that sort of episode by episode discovery process? Like, you know, do you come in, let's, let's, we can talk about season two since it's all out and done but like do you come in with sort of signposts or like i want to do an episode that's set in this world um yeah i mean what does it look like from there it's so much based on like parts of my life Mm -hmm. um and i know that world the most you know like oklahoma rural oklahoma native um that i kind of have general ideas about where i want to go um, and then we just, I, I need them to help me make it work, you know, and they bring their experience into that, you know. Um, I remember in season one, I really wanted to do a hunting episode and I wanted it to just be Willie Jack and her dad, just a like a two-hander, two people in the woods. And, you know, uh, and that's very much based on me and my dad's conversations, hunting in the woods. Um, and... I knew I wanted to get to that, but I knew the audience needed to be invested in the show before they would be (laughs) accepting to that. So that was a goalpost of like, all right, you know, I want to get here later in the season, two people in the woods, 
not a lot happens. How do I get here? Well, we got to have create a really good show and characters all the way up to that. And once we get to that, if we can pull that off, that I know that the audience is with us and like, you know, um, and so that was like the goal was to get them in the woods like that, you know? Yeah. That's really cool. There's, so there's certain things like that in each, each season where I, I feel that way. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's getting harder um, <laughs> because it's so, there's so many things based on my life Yeah, that I'm running out of those stories. And I, I mean, I just wrote a pilot the other day and like, three days you know like i killed this one hour pilot um and it's a totally different show mm -hmm. that's based on other parts of my life somewhat sure. some things you know i'm very much a write what you know person and i base things on people that i know or experiences and i collect these things but this is sort of my childhood mm -hmm. and uh it's like at a certain point you start running out of <laughs> ideas you know well and at a certain point you're you're mining your room too. I mean, as right. much as they may not right. have the one-to-one I mean, -one experience. With season three, my job has more so been um, providing the space to pull the best out of people. Yeah. Like that has been That's great. my job this season, more more so than the others, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. What a great way to look at it too. So, yeah. so tell me about that. I mean, you've been a guy who's been working in features for a decade right. and now working in this more collaborative writing medium how do you start to either use those different skills or, or train yourself to have those skills? I mean, you know, like I'm, I am such a, um, I am such a, I, I, I love making films. And I think that if you truly love it, then you love collaborating. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a very collaborative medium. And so it just really feeds into that. Like being a showrunner is basically being an independent filmmaker, you know, because, you know, independent film, you don't have the budget to hire every department head. Yeah. Um, in TV, being a showrunner, you have to have a hand in every department, you know, and you're guiding everything, especially on a show like this. Like there's other shows that I can make that like, I just like, ah, oh, yeah, I do the pilot and I'll pop in right <laughs> every now and then or whatever and have a co-showrunner or whatever. But like, this one is like, everything was writing on this to me in my mind you know like everyone like my whole people were writing on me succeeding with this project you know and that the weight of that is like immense you know um not that i can you... not that i can speak for a whole people of but like, i knew that i was also speaking for a whole people yeah i had to make something that represented us in a truthful way and i was fighting for that to like be really truthful also entertain non-native people also entertain native people also make native people feel really good and see themselves for the first time but not lose the non-native audience because mm -hmm. it's too inside baseball or whatever you know so it was like trying to um i don't know trying to like um just really kind of like do all of that. I mean, you know, one of the things that trained me for it, not only just feature film, but I have a comedy group, mm -hmm. 1491s. A lot of the writers, a lot of the performers are from that group. Okay. We learned how to collaborate like creatively. Like it was like I was running writers' rooms before I was running a writer's room. Because yeah. we would do these videos for YouTube and you know, we would just talk them out and like 
improvise them and come up with ideas on the spot. And that's, I brought a lot of that into making Reservation Dog. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. And yeah, that, that feels like whether it's an improv group, whether it's, you know, a right. comedy group, sketch group, like that's such a great training, I think, yeah. for for that kind of collaborative work. Um, let's talk about the weight of yeah. expectation. Like right. that just feels overwhelming. Like early on when when you first uh, tell me about how the how the show started. Um did you have a script? Was it conversations with Taika? Like, how did it start to come together? Uh, I had kind of had this loose idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and Taika, we're just good friends. And I, you know, at that point, like I'd never asked Taika for anything, you know, like I, I saw a lot of people asking Taika for things, but we were friends from that first year at Sundance together. We just became buddies and we, you know, it was like, he's my friend and I'm his friend to be able to talk about this industry and what we're going through. It was never to like work together. We would read each other's scripts though, mm-hmm. give feedback. Um, And at a certain point, I think that, I'm sure Taika respected that I'd never asked him for anything, like to work on anything um, because he gets a lot of that. And I'm sure he saw me kind of doing my own thing where I started getting success. I sold a pilot. And I was writing a pilot for HBO. I sold a pilot to Netflix. Um, I was, you know, really kind of uh, doing, I, you know, it was the first time I got an agent. I was really doing a lot um, at for T, with TV streaming and stuff. Gotcha. And, and, and he had a script that he brought in with a friend for an overall deal that didn't go. And he told me, he was like, if you have anything, like I need to bring stuff into them. Let me know if you have anything. <laughs> and I was like, that's all I needed to hear. And I was like, it was actually like I came back a week later and we had dinner and tequila. And um, I was like, man, let's do that. Let's figure something out. I was like, you know, I was thinking about these two scripts. There was one script that I wrote, which was um, about my dad's a martial arts instructor, still is like um, t- uh, since I was four. Wow. And, and, you know, rural, rural Oklahoma martial arts instructor. <laughs> you know? So like we would load up in a car and like go fight tournaments all over the state in Texas um real rowdy bunch you know and um and i so i thought of this idea of these native kids that were getting beat up at by this rival gang and they went out to this sort of like legendary master like martial arts (laughs) master who's now a recluse and they have to convince him to like teach him to fight you know and that's really that's kind of where uncle brownie in season one came from but (laughs) that's hilarious yeah but uh we um we uh you know so i told us that and then there was an idea that taika had which is about this kid that he had had a script that he had started but but neither one of us had finished the scripts we just talked about the ideas together before and he had one that was about a kid in a maori sort of community village and um who decided he was going to be a vigilante like batman he was just like this kid like sitting on this really small house like on the corner with a cape and a mask on (laughs) um sitting on top of the house almost like batman looking over gotham except he's looking over his like small village and the idea like we just took those two ideas and started spitballing and came up with the pilot and the 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 rough idea that night and that's 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 really where it came from yeah how funny so you 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 really did it was created together it sounds like yeah it was created together and then i wrote the pilot Mm -hmm. and um yeah it was and it was like, and I, I got to direct the pilot. At first, it was going to be Taika or, or nothing, but the oh, pandemic I... happened. Um, 
And Tack had been pushing for me to direct it anyway. And then because of the pandemic, Thor got pushed up. So he had to go to Australia. And so he was like, he pushed for me to direct it anyway. And then I pushed for it. And then I got it. And then they were happy with it. And then okay. well, we wrote the rest of the, I wrote the rest of the season or three more scripts. And then we brought it to writers room to write the rest of those scripts for the season gotcha. one. Yeah. So as you're working on those, going going back to this expectations question, as you're working on those first, like the pilot and then those first three scripts, uh, first two, the next two scripts, like how do you start to grapple with what stories do I tell that represent me, that represent, I mean, I, I feel like represent me is the first thing, right? Well, but represent my people that also entertain, like all these things that you talked about. Well, I mean, I think part of it was that I didn't do that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, if I would have been thinking about the weight of representing my people, it wouldn't have been good. I just knew that I needed to tell a truthful story okay, and, and show the, show the reality of what our lives are like, um, which was kind of easy to do because all I had to do is just tell the truth because no one else has ever told the truth about us, you know, Yellowstone included, you know, right. it's like, um, so, uh, it was very easy to just to show something real. And I didn't, you know, for me, it's like, I don't try to like, I don't try to like weigh things down with a lot of my own meaning and stuff. Like I just try to tell a good story. And so I just stuck to that. And I almost had blinders on just going like, okay, I can't think about what I'm doing, representing all this stuff. Like I just have to tell a good story. Yeah. Um, and that's all that I did. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that, that has yeah. to be the only way to do it. Right. right. Um, and then creating these characters, I mean, they feel so, they feel lived in, right? And and look, that's, you have an incredible cast, um, but they had to be on the page too. Right. Were these, are these people you know? Are these people you wanted to see on screen? Yeah, I mean, like you could imagine, like I, I have so many scripts that I've written over the years or tried to write or wanted to write, but no one was making native films. Like I, you know, that's why I made films for $200,000 or right. less, you know? Um, because I couldn't get feature films made. So like I was constantly writing and coming up with ideas and it was just like collecting these stories and ideas and characters in my brain. A lot of them are based on real people based on me. I mean, like, mm -hmm. you know, I had a friend named, that we called cheese still, still around, you know, um, he now like really embraces it and <laughs> he embraced it then, but now I like has a free cheese shirt on and stuff, you know, but like, um, you know, uh, a lot of these people, you know, like my dad's name is Brownie and and he smokes weed and lives in the woods and hunts and teaches martial arts. And like, you know, uh, uh, my uncle is a very conspiracy theory driven person. You know, he's not a cop, but like, <laughs> um, uh, you know, they're all just parts of my life and people yeah. that I know. Um, and I mean, look, I'm a writer. You know, like if I'm not making characters that feel lived in, then I'm not doing my job. Um, I have a knack for, you know, it drives like my girlfriend crazy and other people crazy. Like if I'm at a place, I'm watching people and I am really into human behavior and I can like fake a character and feel, make them feel lived in until I figure them out later. You know, like, yeah. like the pilot that I just wrote, there's some characters in there that aren't fully formed but they damn sure sound fully formed and I'll figure it out by the time we're making <laughs> the show, you know? So um, I think that I have a knack for dialogue and, and um, 
and just character like kind of backstory like filling that out and and connecting it with real people that i know you know like that's something that's a key element to what i do sure i mean i think you're sort of like like zeroing in on this thing that i think a lot of us do which is like i i see this aspect in this person i know and i can put it in this character that i'm right right i'm using in this this script I want to ask another sort of um, story breaking uh, or season breaking question. And um, that's like giving, giving over, you know, you have a certain number of episodes in a, in a season, you know, you have 10 and giving over an episode to Brownie or giving an over an episode to big, you know, one of the, because we, I think you must know the show sings when you've got the kids all, all together. Right. right? Um, even though season two had them separated for so much of it. Right. The moments where they come together, like is, is just gold. So taking the story away from them for an episode and then doing, you know, three or four, maybe, maybe it was even more episodes, especially in that second season devoted to these other great characters. Right. Like this is the problem with having such a populated world, right? Is you want to explore all these guys, but how do you decide where to spend that real estate? I think that what makes them sing is we're not always with them though. Hmm. You know, like I think that there is a tension created when you don't have them and it actually helps. Um, Because like, I would like, I think an audience would get bored and tired if they saw all of the mundane things that these kids do hanging out. You know, it's like, that's fine. So when you're with them, you're like glued it. You're like, you're like leaning in and you're ready for it. This Um, matters because we're seeing it. Right. And it's like, if you had to just like, oh, and then they go to the store and then they like go back (laughs) to the store and then they're like at home and they're, you know, they're bored today and TV sucks and they're watching their favorite show. It's just like, no one wants to see that, you know? Honestly, I, I mean, I'd watch Willie do, Jack watch her yeah, least favorite show. Skit, <laughs> but I think that it makes you like, I think then when you see Willie Jack, it makes you like even yeah. happier to see her. For you know sure. I mean? And like, and then all of a sudden there's this tension built and then you see her with her aunt in prison and it's like this cathartic release all of a sudden. I don't know. Like, I think it, it it helps play with some of that stuff. I think 30 minutes also does too. Like if I had an hour with the show, I would just get bogged down with details. And this show doesn't, I think that this show is best not getting bogged down with details. You know, like I always tell people like when the writers, I'm like, they're like, maybe this happens. It's almost like the opposite of what they say. Good screenwriting is. So it's like, maybe that this happens that which causes this to happen and then we're going to go over here and i'm like no like that's not this show like this show doesn't have a lot of like this happened and this this happened mm-hmm. you know it's almost more independent film in a way it's almost like um it's almost like a jim jarmish film mm-hmm. in a way where it's like the things that usually aren't shown we're showing and we're <laughs> leaving out the things that are usually shown you know um which i won't do that always but something about this show it, it, it something about like it's almost like editing like the magic of editing and they say like you know there's cuts in there and then when you make a cut to another angle there is a little bit of like like nothingness 
And in that nothingness is the audience's participation, <laughs> right? And like, I think that that works that way in the show as well. In between these episodes, there's a lot of nothing that you don't know what happened. And that's all the audience filling that blank in. And even between scenes, like it's like the audience is filling these blanks in. And I think it like makes the audience lean in more and, and like really kind of hunger for it a little more. And it's like my favorite thing about film is that like active participation from myself when I'm watching something yeah. that I love, you know, like, like when I watched 400 blows the first time I was like, so in like, and I just like, didn't know what was happening all the time. And like, <laughs> things didn't quite roll into the next scene all the time, but like I was in, you know, and like I, I was participating. I felt mm -hmm. like I was there. And so I think that that's what people feel. I think that help that that helps the audience kind of feel more part of this world. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, it's 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 an emotional sort of storytelling, right? right? Like rather than you say A leads to B leads to C, right? Um, that level of detail. I mean, don't don't sell yourself short on the level of detail either. Like you're you're presenting as you know, like a world that hasn't been shown right. on film very right. often or very well. Right. Uh, and so again, there's no small responsibility there, but also like you're making it accessible to like dumb white guys like me who like just want to hang out with these kids all day. Which is like amazing to me, you know, like, um, you know, it was picked for so many like number one yeah. lists and it's, this just blows me away. And you know, like in my lifetime, I won't know the impact that it had. And I love, I, and I'm very proud. And I, I do hold, I don't take lightly the responsibility and the thing that I was given to like be able to do this. I've seen it make a difference. You know, mm -hmm. like I have seen it make a total difference um, with just Native people being able to hold their head high and be proud of it, but also like the interaction between non Native and Native people. Um, like non-native people understanding native people a little more and a little more about the reality of That's their life great. you know i mean like you just can't do that you know wow. like, it's just amazing it's amazing yeah um i want to pick up on something you've sort of mentioned a couple yeah. times which is to say you know this show is this way because like this is the kind of story i want to tell if it was an hour long it would be told in a different way your, right. your features uh, sort of have that indie film right. feeling, especially, uh, you know, of of the past 10 years, what indie right. film feels like. Right. Um, what is what is your voice? What is what is you know, what can we expect from I you as a storyteller? I think my voice, to be honest and pure and, and to be honest about it is. I try to make truthful characters and story, but also I think that our truth as human beings is life is a comedy and a drama. And I try to show both of those things together. Um, and especially in native communities, like tragedy and humor exist together. And I think any, you know, even like, like Jewish storytelling is like comedy and tragedy kind of with each other. And that's what I want to tell. I don't want to tell, and, you know, not to say I haven't or I won't tell just dramas, but like I'm still going to put some humor in it. And Absolutely. I think that that's what my voice is, is like funny and tragic and all of that together. And um, and 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 like also just like, I mean, the main thing that I try to go for 
as an explanation for why we're here. You know, I mean, it's like I I, I talk about death a lot, and I talk about the reaction to mm. death. I talk about characters' reaction to death. Um, and to me, that's the mystery that we all either ignore or try to face. You know, um, and I'm and 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 for me, the only explanation for any of this is there's some magic out there that that we have to recognize and that I choose to recognize. And I like to infuse that in my storytelling. Like there is possibilities and there is magic and it's not just what you see is what you get. This would be a beautiful place to end the conversation, but I'm not going to, because I want to, I wanted to follow up on a couple of things uh, from before. While you were, making these features and sort of like engaged in that constant hustle that we all do. Um, how did, how did you survive? How did you get through that both making stuff and not making stuff in that time? Um, I did a lot of, I mean, like, you know, I worked for a place called this land press I made short videos for this like long form magazine. It was oh. trying to be like the New Yorker of the Midwest, you know, and like, which was cool. Paid the bills for a couple mm -hmm. of years. And you're years. getting to make stuff. Right. Getting to make stuff. I always made stuff for like nonprofits or tribes. Um, did a lot of storytelling in my community and different tribes. Uh, I did the comedy group traveled around did a live show um we have a play that's out that's being performed right now in new york and seattle um and then we um and you know i just i made money where i could you know and it was i was talking to my daughter yesterday who's 22 now and i was just like man like can you imagine like like can you believe i have a show you know and it's like <laughs> it feels like just a few years ago that like I would always have some weird living situation where I was like living in someone's house that moved out for a while and like still had his furniture in it. And like, you know, and I'd bring my daughter there and like, we would, you know, and it was like, uh, I was just making, making it. Cause, and I always, I mean, like what I love is that she got to see me like not give up. Like hmm. I was always just like, I'm gonna do this, you know? And, and then it paid off. And, um, you know, uh, but I also did other things. I mean, like, I'm here in Oklahoma. I think that if I was in LA, really trying to crack into the industry, it would have been really depressing hmm. because um, it's so geared towards that industry that like here I could do other things like yeah. uh, go hunting or, you know, like, um, um, you know, like, I'm really into music and I listen to a lot, I have a lot of musician friends listen to music. So I was like, you know, um, and, and just trying my best to get paid to tell stories here. Um, and because of my independent films, I was also traveling and getting paid to go speak places. Um, and I'd get a gig every now and then it was gig to gig, you know, until, yeah. until reservation dogs, it was pretty gig to gig, you know? So, um, so yeah, I mean, but like, Part of, um, I think, why I succeeded is I wasn't afraid of failing, and I failed a lot, and I knew that I had to keep going to make it work, you know, um, and I mean, I almost quit and started a nonprofit like two, three years before Reservation Dogs, you know, like I was like, 
ready to be done sometimes. And, but I just, something just kept me going, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, I want to ask you about, I had a podcast that I was doing. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you about free fallen and how that became the song yeah. in season two. Uh, where, where did all that come from? Uh, free fallen is funny. Cause in the writer's room, I always play guitar. Like I always have a guitar near me. Um, like right there. And, uh, uh, I would, uh, I would, uh, during, when we would get stuck and bored during the writer's room, I would play free fallen. Just to, <laughs> and at a certain point I would do it to bug people, you know, and, um, it, it became a joke. And so we just wrote it into the show. <laughs> That's like, hilarious. Yeah. But it's like, it becomes this great sort of the scene, the, the first scene, you know, at the river with Brownie, like is so funny and warm and sweet. And then it becomes this great sort of uh, callback later. It's, it really oh, yeah. works. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Which, you know, I'd love to say that I mapped that out and had it all planned, but <laughs> literally like, you know, uh, it's like, you just piece this shit together. Exactly. I mean, like, the fact that we put a, uh, Tim Capello in there, you know, I still believe at the end. Ridiculous. It was, like, it was almost like, what can we get away with at the end? And like, what a strut. It's like, if we did our job, we can do this at the end and flip out of it, you know, and like fucking mic drop and walk away. Like, that's what it felt like to be able to, like, if we can get Tim Capello playing the sax at the end, like, we did our job. Yeah. It was absolutely bonkers. Was there, like, what was involved in orchestrating that? I mean, literally, like, we just wrote it and then, um, I was such a big fan of that movie and you know me and my dad could probably word for word like repeat the dialogue the whole sh the whole movie of lost boys <laughs> um and you know we just were like what if we could do this and wrote it in there and then hit up my casting director angelique midthunder i was like can you find this guy and she found him he tore us sometimes and she found him and he was like I'm yeah I'll do it. <laughs> so great yeah, it's such an amazing like tag on the season. Yeah. And it's all the things that I think the show does, right? It's funny and weird and warm and honest and like right. sweet and silly. Like you guys are killing it. Um, we'll end as we always do by asking what you are watching on television these days when you have time. Uh, yeah, what, have what's getting you excited? Yeah, I'll tell you, it's it's probably pretty different from most people's, but um I love severance. Um Succession, I I loved. Um, I just cracked into White Lotus, which I which I'm enjoying. Mike White was one of my advisors at uh, Sundance. Uh, funny, it was funny because his uh, his his advice was like he had like headphones on, right? So we were <laughs> sitting there in the thing, and he just kind of like like it was time to meet, and he was just like we were like sitting next to each other, which is always awkward instead of facing each other. And he was just like, yeah, I mean, just like just go make it. Like, <laughs> ready to be made just make okay. it okay like people always give you notes and stuff but it's like just like make it i was like all right cool and that was literally the meeting um so i'm into white lotus now enjoying that um i also watch um meat eater which is a uh pretty great hunting show um okay it's sort of like um it's on netflix and it's sort of a i mean it's like if you imagine like the anthony bourdain of hunting shows that's what it is and oh my god he travels and hunts and um it's all about kind of like conservation and you know the idea of like 
uh, harvesting your own meat for your family and eating, you know? So that's what it's about. It's really great. It's a really great show. Um, I also, you know, like, I love a good um, British baking show, you know? Like, I'll, I'll get into that. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of anything else recent. You know, I'm, I'm watching Bluey with my kids. <laughs> sure. Yeah, which is great. Bluey's great. And then, um, yeah, I mean, there's so much that I want to watch. I don't see how people do it. Like, they must no, not too have much. Kids, whatever, but there's so much to watch. <laughs> there's so much to watch. Is there um, stuff, um, whether it's TV or whether it's, you know, films in the last few years, that is like, that gets you excited in the way it did 20 years ago to make stuff? Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, you know, all those shows that I just mentioned, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, like, it's like any time that I'm feeling like it's not going to do that again, it does it for me again. Mm -hmm like something comes out and i'm blown away yeah um and it reminds me of why i do it you know yeah. i mean like recently i'm thinking of like um like i'm trying to think of like feature films that i might have seen recently i just don't see that much it's like crazy like writing a show turns out as like a lot of work um, <laughs> well you're you're a ceo you know, of a like, huge I, company what i really love recently actually was um the uh senior the uh oh, i haven't robert, watched that robert downey senior um mm -hmm. documentary i thought that was pretty great um uh really touching and also you know historical about this filmmaker that no one really knows about it was great yeah that's oh, good to know yeah um and you should know too like while you're not watching these while you're too busy to watch these things you're making something that is doing the same thing for other people you. you know i like love the bear inspired. by the way i like the bear oh, absolutely yeah yeah, yeah um Atlanta thank you so much one of my favorite shows so oh yeah um thanks for chatting uh i'm excited for the next season come back anytime come plug stuff send your send your writers over we'll have fun talking to them thanks so much they're great you should talk with them they're great absolutely we'll work it out uh good luck with the with the future stuff forever dog this has been a forever dog production executive produced by dog. brett boehm Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.